Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. You are listening to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. Today, we are talking about trying to get pregnant. This is actually something I talk about every single day. And it's one of the main reasons why I even have a platform and love educating on social media. But I'm never really shocked every single time somebody presents a fact or a myth or something that they believed that surprised them about getting pregnant. And it's because we're really not taught much about our bodies. And so when we are ready to go and get pregnant, we don't know the basics. I had a patient very recently whose boyfriend said, well, it doesn't matter how old you are, as long as you're having periods, you can get pregnant. And although he's right that if you're not having a period, you can't get pregnant or it will be much, much harder, He's not right that it doesn't matter how old you are. I had another patient who said, well, we're very healthy, so certainly I'm not going to have any issues. And I had another patient who was put on progesterone by a non-fertility, non-OBGYN provider, and this person put them on progesterone to try to help them get pregnant, yet they had them taking it every single day. That's the definition of birth control. And because we don't have a good understanding of how our bodies work, yet we want to advocate for ourselves, Because the health system right now is so fractured, it's hard to get time to talk to your doctor about these things. So I completely understand why people are trying to look at these other sources of information and trying to get help where they can, but buyer beware. There is so much bad health information out there and so many people are profiting for it. Where do you think my patient got her progesterone from? The doctor sold it to her. It's just not right. People are charging a lot of money for these medical consultations or fertility that they really have no right to do so. And that's not everybody, of course. And there's great fertility coaches and there's great providers who aren't always fertility doctors. But in this case, this patient actually had harm. And my job is to help you understand how your body works, what you need to know if you're trying to get pregnant is going to be the focus of this episode. Before we jump in, a few housekeeping items. Number one, You can ask questions that you can get answered. And the easiest way to do this is every Monday on Instagram. You can ask questions at Natalie Crawford, MD. These questions will be put in a question box. Some of them actually guide the content that we create, whether it's YouTube videos or podcasts. And most podcast episodes, we will end with a Q&A segment where we take those questions that you're asking and we answer them right here for everyone. 
So every Monday, Natalie Crawford, MD on Instagram. You can also learn a lot more if you're interested or if you're trying to get pregnant and you're frustrated about not knowing what to do or what lifestyle factors or how you can optimize your fertility. You can sign up for the Optimize Your Natural Fertility course, or there's also the IVF guide if you're going through IVF. And this is a labor of love from me to you because this is going to give you a really program of what to do, and it's going to walk you through education in a way that builds off itself so that you can learn. And if you buy the Optimize Your Natural Fertility program, we've got a Facebook group that's really great, and y'all, the program got launched a little over a year and a half ago, and now everybody's sending pictures of their babies, and it's just the best thing. So of course, all of that information lives free and all of the content we create, but sometimes there's just so much, it's hard to sort through. So feel free to check it out. And then the last thing is you can sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is going to be a great source. I'll answer fertility questions or talk about fertility in the news, give you some updates on what is happening. And we'll also just talk about my favorite things or recipes. You know that I love a plant-based, healthy eating, low inflammation lifestyle. And I love to share those recipes with you because I don't have time to cook up something crazy, crazy fancy. So we got to make it doable and delicious. And I got some kids that have to eat it too. So sharing all of that, the newsletter is on the website, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. And then also fun fact on the website, there's a resources tab. You can search so you can type in PCOS or endometriosis or IVF, and you can find all the podcasts, all the YouTubes, all the blog posts for all of my content, and I just think that is an underutilized feature, so go and check it out. All right, this is actually trying to conceive. This is the most popular episode that the podcast has ever had. This episode was released way back when, in 2019, when we started. So if you haven't gone way back in the catalog, we're actually putting high-level pieces of it right here for you now, and I hope you enjoy, because this is the basics of what we're doing. I don't think we should gatekeep information about getting pregnant or how your body works, and I really... Just I'm thankful for all of you in the community and the support that you have given me. This is for the person who is interested in getting pregnant and doesn't even know where to start. So those of you who are deep in the infertility battle, some of this is going to sound like really old news to you. Those of you who haven't even started trying to get pregnant, this is the episode for you. Or maybe you're just at the start of this journey and don't really know where to go. The truth is, I get this question all the time in my real life from friends, family members who are wanting to get pregnant and haven't given this a second thought. The truth is we spend most of our time preventing pregnancy. We are using birth control or condoms or timing our cycle so that we do not achieve a pregnancy until we're ready. And then suddenly we're ready and we don't know where to start. What lifestyle changes are important? What supplements do we need to be on? How do we track our pregnancy and more? So let's dive on in. I want to start by talking about birth control. A common question I get is, does birth control impact my future fertility? And the answer is no. Birth control is not going to make it so you can't get pregnant later. That being said, birth control may have secondary symptoms that may mask your natural cycles. So saying, oh yeah, I've been regular for years, but you've been on birth control pills for years. That's not really a reflection of having regular menstrual cycles. So if you're on birth control pills, I usually recommend that you stop the pills around three months before you want to get pregnant. Use condoms if you're not ready to be pregnant, but that way we can get an idea of what your natural cycle is. What you may find is that you may not be ovulating. Perhaps you have PCOS. I have a whole episode on that. 
perhaps you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, but the truth is you may not know because you've been treating yourself, which is great. It's good that you've been treating yourself because the long-term impacts of some of these things can be bad without treatment. But in treating yourself leaves you not really knowing what's going on. So if you stop the pills around three months before, it gives you a little bit of time to understand if your cycles are regular or not. And if your cycles are irregular, do not pass go. Don't just start having unprotected sex and hoping you're going to get pregnant. If your cycles are irregular, that's going to be a huge barrier for you, and we should not waste time. So come off the pills. Cycles are irregular. You need to go see me, a fertility doctor, or your OBGYN so that the evaluation as to why your periods are irregular can start taking place. And personally, because I'm a data girl, I'm going to evaluate everything. We're going to check, make sure your fallopian tubes are open. We're going to check that the sperm is okay. I want to make sure that we have all pieces of the puzzle in addition to why you are not ovulating. So not every doctor feels that way. Some people will say, let's just figure out why you're not ovulating and correct that problem. But to me, if you're seeing a fertility doctor for one problem, maybe there's another problem too. And why not know everything at once? There's more information on that in the episode, The Infertility Consult, so that you can understand what all may happen if you come see me as a first-time patient. As far as other types of birth control, if you have an IUD in place, especially a Mirena or a Skyla, meaning a hormonal IUD, a progesterone-secreting IUD, I like those to come out, again, about three months or so before you want to get pregnant. Less important if you still have periods, but if you are amenorrheic, meaning you have no periods with your IUD, I'm a little concerned that you're lying is thin, and it may take a few months of regular cycles to be able to build that lining up enough to support a pregnancy. So again, three months before you want to get pregnant, use condoms because you're not looking to get pregnant yet. Certainly, if you take it out, your lining may be fine. You may get pregnant right away, but I don't like to put us behind the game. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, 
Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. The most concerning of all the different birth control methods when it comes to fertility is the Depo-Provera shot. So Provera means progesterone and Depo is an injectable form that goes into the muscle. So Depo-Provera is also called the birth control shot. You have to get it every three months for it to be effective in preventing ovulation in the majority of women. However, in some women, the effect of the shot can last for up to 18 months. You heard that right, a year and a half, 18 months. So if you are using Depo-Provera for your birth control, that's fine. It's effective. However, we want to make sure that we're transitioning you to something else 18 months before you want to get pregnant. So that takes a lot of forward thinking. And I have seen many young patients who are not ovulating and they're in the Depo-Provera window. They had no idea. So just hear that again. 18 months for Depo-Provera. Okay, so all of that aside, you have stopped your birth control or stopped using condoms if you have been using them, and you're ready to start trying to get pregnant. Yay, it's so exciting. It really is an exciting moment for you. And I'm not here to scare you about it. I'm here to empower you. So other changes you need to make include, one, taking a prenatal vitamin. For most women, a general prenatal vitamin has most of the vitamins and nutrients that you need. That being said, you should talk to your doctor. I strongly recommend a preconception visit. It doesn't have to be with me. Your OBGYN is the perfect person for this because maybe you're on a secondary medication for some medical problem that is not safe in pregnancy. You need to stop that medication before you get pregnant. Or maybe because of the medication you're on, like your medication for your seizures, you need to be on a higher dose of folic acid than normal or because of your family history of spina bifida or neural tube defect like that, you need to be on a higher dose of folic acid and you don't even know about it. So I strongly recommend before you enter into this phase that you talk to your doctor. But presuming that you're not have any suspicious family history, you're not on any other medications, time to go to the store and buy something that says prenatal vitamin. Personally, I like prenatal vitamins that have omega-3 fatty acids in them People also call these fish oils. Y'all know that I'm plant-based and vegan. You can get fish oils, I'm putting that in air quotes, from algae-based sources. So you can find a prenatal that has a plant-based source of omega-3 fatty acids. But those are good for brain development, neurological connections, and the fetus. And those studies have been pretty well documented. So I would recommend one prenatal vitamin with omega-3 fatty acids. And a lot of women are vitamin D deficient. Vitamin D has been such hot topic and hot news, and we are still doing a lot of research on it, but I do put almost all of my patients, let's not lie, I put every patient on a supplemental vitamin D3 of 1,000 international units a day. And some women need more, so I like to check a vitamin D level and then titrate it up if somebody's significantly low, but a, usually a prenatal has about 600 IUs, and I find that's not quite enough for most women. 
So if your prenatal has a thousand, you're probably good. If it has less than a thousand, perhaps you want more. Just something to consider. There are so many other supplements out there, but I'll say this. Most of you do not need additional supplements. Most women will not. There are cases if you have PCOS, if you have low ovarian reserve, if you have endometriosis, then other things may help you. But for the average woman, you don't really need many other supplements. So that's important. I will say that the sleep cycle is really important for hormonal function from the brain. So if you're not sleeping well, if you're anxious, if you have insomnia, if you stay up late, if you wake up a lot in the middle of the night, you could consider taking melatonin. The melatonin dose is three milligrams a night is what has been shown to be helpful. You do not need to be on three grams or some crazy high dose that you can see. More is not more when it comes to some of these things. But being on some melatonin may be helpful if you have sleep problems. If you sleep fine, don't worry about it. Okay, so you're on supplements. You've stopped your birth control. What about your diet? Yep, I'm going to go there. For the most part, what we are learning is something called epigenetics. Epigenetics is fascinating, and I love talking about it with patients. The simplest way to think about this is that you control the genes that are turned on and off in your future baby. So even though we want to eat good foods to help us get pregnant, so I'm going to talk about the fertility foods in a minute, we also need to think about foods that are good for our baby when we're pregnant. And this is not shocking, but the foods that we eat, the baby grows up in that environment and is going to get predetermined to respond in a certain way. And what we know is we want to have less processed foods, less sugars, We want to have really good whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Those type of real good foods are the things you need for your pregnancy. So you should start transitioning now. As far as diet and fertility, I have an episode purely on this, so feel free to go there. However, in general, one, studies are hard. This is a hard thing to study. It's hard to control people's diet, so these are observational studies. All of that being said, The general fertility diet is strongly plant-based. It doesn't mean you have to be completely plant-based like I am. You can be just mostly or trending in that direction, but that means very high in fruits and vegetables. We want to be organic. We want to wash our food. We want to limit environmental toxins as well. We want to limit our meat servings. doesn't mean you have to do no meat if you don't want to, but be very aware and cautious. You certainly don't need to be having meat in every meal. Meats are a high source of environmental chemicals, advanced glycolation end products as well, in addition to a huge strain and inflammation on a lot of people's bodies. Think about lean meats. It looks like red meat is the most inflammatory. Less than three servings of fish per week. So even though fish is really good for you, it does contain mercury. The bigger the fish, the more mercury because the big fish eat the little fish. Mercury is not good for brain development of a baby. So less than three servings of fish per week. Soy is good for you. I get asked this all the time. Can I eat soy? Isn't it a phytoestrogen? Is that going to be bad for my male fetus? It's not going to be bad. It's fine. You can eat tofu. You can eat edamame, which are soybeans. Go for it. We encourage healthy fats. Avocados, extra virgin olive oils, nuts. Those things have good fatty acids in them that are important in development. We also say no processed sugar, no refined carbs. We like the whole grain carbs instead. And again, environmental toxins are bad. Your plastics, they need to go away. Your styrofoams, I don't even know why we use that anymore. 
We need to limit Teflon in our kitchen. We need to look at our products. Again, entire episodes just about this. But you need to be aware of what you're putting on your body and inside your body so you have the highest chance of, one, conceiving, but two, having a healthy baby as well. Okay, you have stopped your birth control. You are taking a prenatal. You are now eating better, limiting toxins from your life. Now what? Okay, it's time to track your cycle. Tracking your cycle means understanding when you ovulate and if you ovulate at a predictable pattern. You guys do not even understand how good we have it in the modern age. When I first entered this field, we did not have all the fancy apps and the good ways to track our periods like we do now. Now you can use an app-based service and put in your day one and put in when you have spotting and put in when you have full flow and when you have sex and when you take tests and all of these things. At a minimum, I recommend you utilize the calendar function on your phone and at least put in the day one of your cycle every month. This will help you so much if you come see a doctor like me because I can look at your phone and tell immediately how your periods are. There are a lot of apps, a lot of them are free, that are really good at this also. But we used to have to do it on paper, for real, on paper. And so it's just so much better now. And people would be like, oh, I left my planner at home. Or they'd forget to bring in their paper. Or we'd have graph papers of BBT, basal body temperature charting. And now it is just so much better. Day one is the first day of full flow. Spotting before your full flow does not count as your period. Most of us actually think that spotting before your period is a sign of a luteal phase defect, a problem with ovulating or supporting the luteal phase in the cycle before. A day of spotting can be normal, but more than that is not. So your doctor, your fertility doctor, certainly wants to know if you're having a lot of spotting before your period. But day number one, first day of full flow. As far as semantics go, if your period starts in the evening, I consider that day zero. So I tell my patients you need to have your full flow during the daytime. So full flow in the morning, that's your day number one. That's day number one. The last day before your next period starts is the end of your cycle. Now, often women have cycles around every 28 days, but every woman is different. In medical textbooks, you will see that a normal cycle can range anywhere from 21 days to 35 days. And this is one of the biggest things I have to say, but it should be the same for you. It should be within one to two days the same every month for you. So if you have 21-day cycles, they should be 21, 22, 23, 21, something like that. If you have 35-day cycles, they should be 35, 34, 36. You get it. You are not allowed, I mean, you are, but it is not normal to have cycles that are 21 days, 35 days, 28 days, 21 days, 37 days. Those may average out in your app to look normal. This is where apps are so interesting. So this will appear, they average out to 27 to 28 days every month. And so you might think, I'm perfectly normal. But this is irregularly regular. You're having periods every month. You're not full out skipping months. But that's not really truly regular. Regular is on a predictable pattern for you. You could tell me when your day one should be in two months from now. And be right within a couple days of margin. And if you can't do that, your periods are not regular. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. 
The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. Okay, so these apps are really great as far as tracking your cycles, and I'm a huge fan of them. As far as the predictive ability of telling you when you ovulate, only accurate if your periods are truly regular within one to two days of each other because they're using the calendar method. The calendar method means that you in general, if you are normal, have a 14-day luteal phase. You ovulate about 14 days before your next period starts and the app just does math. Okay, it sees you have 35-day cycles and then it does math backwards and will tell you when you ovulate. And when you ovulate, the egg only lives for about 24 hours. That is the time it can be fertilized. And sperm can live for longer than this. We say up to five days. Most sperm do not live that long. However, what you'll see on an app is, here are my most fertile days ending on the day after ovulation. So you usually see this six-day window, kind of the five days, and then right after ovulation. And that's what everybody's telling you is your most fertile time. So that is good if your periods are really regular. If they're bebopping all over the place, that is not accurate. And do not just be having sex in that fertile window. However, if your periods are regular, you can do it old-fashioned on the calendar method. You can use an app, but you can calculate your luteal phase and know when you think you would ovulate. Remember that this method presumes you're normal and presumes your luteal phase is fine, and presumes you are ovulating. It is not actually telling you that you are in fact ovulating, but it is telling you the highest probability of when to have intercourse so that egg and sperm can meet, which obviously has to happen. I love ovulation predictor kits, OPKs. They are urinary six that you pee on and they check LH. LH is luteinizing hormone. It is released from the brain before ovulation. So you get a surge approximately 24 hours before you ovulate. There's some variability depending on how long the surge lasts and if you are picking up the beginning or the end of the surge, but for the most part, you tend to get a positive OPK the day before you ovulate. If you're using OPKs, you need to take them around the same time every day. I usually recommend between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Even though the box says first morning urine, sometimes you won't have detected your surge in urine because the LH surge occurs in the morning and it may not be in your urine yet. So using OPKs, you pee on the sticks, you're waiting for ovulation to occur. When you get a positive, it means you're going to ovulate the next day because you're surging. I usually recommend, hey, if you only want to have sex two days this month, best two days are going to be the day of a positive OPK and the day after. Those are the two best days. Now, you can also do temperature charting, which is basal body temperature. This is what some of the thermometers you're seeing advertise, the AVA bracelet. These things are all using basal body temperature. Super easy concept. Progesterone rises after you ovulate. So you ovulate the follicle that contained the egg. The egg is now being released. 
that follicle turns into the corpus luteum. Corpus luteum is important for maintaining the luteal phase, the time period after ovulation, but before the next cycle, also known as the implantation time. And the corpus luteum makes progesterone. That is its only job. Well, probably not, but that is its most important job in this time period. Corpus luteum makes progesterone. Progesterone causes your body temperature to rise. So these things, temperature thermometers, Ava bracelet, are checking your temperature to tell you when is it rising. It is confirming that you ovulated after the fact. It is not a predictive measure, meaning you can't go have sex now that you have a temperature shift and expect something different. But people who like a lot of data or who want to confirm that they did in fact ovulate can find satisfaction in these methods. I usually tell my patients or my people not to do this. I think it's too stressful. Sometimes too much data makes you overanalyze all of it. And I like, if you have regular cycles, to use OBKs if you do like more data, but not to go as far as BBT. And another option is to check your cervical mucus. People don't talk about this as much, but it's pretty easy to do. Essentially, you two fingers in vagina, grab mucus, bring it out, stretch fingers. If it is stretchy and egg white, so it stretches and looks like an egg white would, that's type 4 cervical mucus, and that's consistent with your ovulation day. Very high estrogen. So you should have sex on the day of type 4 cervical mucus. Now, it takes a little bit of getting used to, and some people do not like putting fingers in vagina, whatever is works for you, but that's another method of fertility awareness, an FAM. I did a study in fellowship looking at the different types of fertility awareness methods, cervical mucus, BBT, and OPKs, and what we found is they were all the same, and they all had increased methods of getting pregnant than doing nothing, and I think this is just being aware of your fertility improves the time to conception. So you get pregnant faster if you are aware of when you ovulate. There's also some confounding. Confounding means other factors in people who utilize these methods that may mask your results. So confounding in the study is that people tend to use certain methods more if their periods are irregular. So they may self-select themselves out. If you never see type 4 cervical mucus because you don't ovulate, that may feel very unfruitful to you. So you would fall into the not using category and may have lower chances of getting pregnant when in fact the reason why is that your periods are not as regular. We try to account for that in the study, but there's always inherent confounding in different studies. And that's something that you may not realize if you're evaluating scientific literature as a lay person. But one thing that we always think about when we look at these fertility awareness methods is that they're always better in women who are super regular than women who are not. So there's always some bias in that. That being said, I'm a fan of them. Pick something that works for you. And if you're not getting good results, that may be a clue that something's up, meaning I never saw type 4 cervical mucus. Maybe I should see a fertility doctor or I never got a positive on my OPK. Maybe I need to look into this. I never got a shift in my BBT. So they can sometimes alert you earlier in the process that you may need help. All right, intercourse. You need to have intercourse to get pregnant if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you're trying to conceive naturally. If you have difficulty or pain with intercourse, that may be a medical problem and you should come see a doctor. If the male partner cannot achieve or maintain an erection, that is also concerning and you need to see a doctor. Some patients do IUI, insemination, where we put a speculum in and we put sperm into a catheter and insert this sperm into the uterus in order to overcome some of these problems. So don't think that there's nothing to do. But it's really sad when I see people who've been trying to get pregnant for three years, but they haven't been able to even have proper intercourse for medical reasons. So don't waste your own time. Do not be embarrassed or afraid to go seek help. 
when you're using the good old fashioned calendar method or just trying to track based on your cycle, what we tend to tell people is have sex every other day starting around day 10. And that should capture the majority of women's fertile window if you do that for 10 days. So that's the simplest way. I don't want to truly track my cycles, but I know my periods are regular. Note when you have your day number one, start having sex around 10 days later, every other day, you'll be having intercourse in the fertile window. Alternatively, if you want to use OPKs, I usually recommend the same sex around day 10 or so, but then you want to aim to have intercourse day of positive and day after. If you're using cervical mucus, you want to have sex day you see the type for cervical mucus. So a couple questions. One, position doesn't matter. It doesn't. You just have to be able to have ejaculation achieved. You do not need to lay there for any X amount of time. You don't need to put your hips up or your legs against the wall. None of those things are going to matter. The sperm rapidly swims out of the ejaculate and enters into the cervix. The vagina is very acidic and not a happy place for sperm. The ejaculate is very alkaline and helps protect it. So that's all fine. But you going pee afterward and sperm, I'm putting in quotes, sperm coming out. It's not really sperm. It's just other ejaculated material and it's fine. And if you are in a relationship and you have intercourse every day, that's fine. Have sex every day. There's nothing magical about every other day versus every day. We just don't want to burn out a couple who's maybe not as accustomed to having sex every day. But if you have sex every day, that is sufficient and enough sperm are getting where it needs to go in the right time frame. Okay, a few other things. You need to make sure that you're not smoking or cigarettes or marijuana or vaping or utilizing a lot of alcohol. So very minimal alcohol use to none. Definitely none when you are pregnant. These things can impact male sperm too. So semen parameters, some guys will have fine libido, fine ejaculation and erection. That is not an indication that they are fine. Also, having a kid in the past does not presume that a man's sperm is normal. Sperm changes all the time. So it is an essential part of a fertility evaluation. If everything is normal, and what does normal mean? You are having regular periods at an interval predictable for you you are able to have intercourse in the fertile window and you have not gotten pregnant in a year if you are under the age of 35 or six months if you are over the age of 35, you need to see a fertility specialist or your OBGYN for fertility evaluation. We will then pick up the rest of the pieces, check your anatomy, check the sperm, check your hormones, and try to figure out what is going on. This is not a magic number. This is based on observational data for when the percentage of the population will be pregnant at a given interval versus the next interval. And certainly, you do not have to wait this long. Most couples who are under the age of 35, the normal chance of getting pregnant per month is about 20%. So most people will be pregnant in four to five months. If you're at eight months of trying to get pregnant and you're 30 and you are concerned, you certainly can go see a doctor earlier. Nobody is going to say that you can't. So do not feel like these are hard and fast rules. Alternatively, with concerning problems like my periods are slightly irregular, I have a lot of pain with intercourse, I have a lot of pain with my periods, I have a mom who went into ovarian failure early, went into early menopause, you may want to seek help earlier. And if you're 40 and just getting started on this journey, do not waste time. Go see somebody right away. You do not have the time in your ovaries to just start trying to have unprotected sex for the most part. We recommend an evaluation when you're ready to get pregnant. That way we can make sure that we're not missing something. And very often, if everything's normal, I'll say, great, go try for a few months and let's see if it happens. But if your tubes are blocked, we're not wasting your precious time. 
And the last thing I want to say is I said earlier, I love a preconception consult. Your doctor can go over all of these topics with you. And I promise every OBGYN loves a preconception visit. It lets us kind of prepare and plan for the future. And don't we all love to be planners? I'm a huge advocate for preconception genetic carrier screening. Some of the saddest patients I've ever had are those who had a baby die from a genetic disease that is extremely rare that they carry, that they didn't know they carried because they'd never been checked because there was no reason to check. And they got pregnant following this advice or whatever on their own, happy, carrying on, and then found out at some point that their baby had a disease that was not compatible with life. Some of these babies died in utero. Some of them were terminated. Some of them were born and survived hours or days or weeks. All of it said, it's heartbreaking. Genetic carrier screening is blood testing of you and your partner before you get pregnant to try to see if you carry the same autosomal recessive or silent carrier disease. If both partners carry the same silent carrier disease, then there's strong recommendation for genetic counseling and consideration for IVF with genetic testing of the embryo so we can detect which embryos are affected, not affected, or carriers of these diseases. Depending on the severity of disease, you'll decide what you do with this information, but you do not know what you don't know. And I'm always an advocate of knowing because you may make a different decision once you have the truth in your hand. Trying to get pregnant is a really exciting time. When you first enter it, this is a huge stage of life development. And whether you're trying to get pregnant the good old-fashioned way, which is what most of this is talking about, with heterosexual intercourse, this is where you start. If you are a single mother by choice or a same-sex couple, you get to come see me first, and that's also a very exciting visit. They're really fun for me because you're coming from a different place. You're not already behind the game. You are having that preconception visit with me, and that's really exciting too. This is the basics in and out for conception for couples who are trying to conceive. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you learned something. And if you have questions, I would love for you to ask them. That way we can know what else to answer and how to clarify any other myths. I'm going to be doing an episode coming up on those fertility myths. So I'm going to be asking, what are those things you hear that you want to know if they're true or not? Now I'm going to do for fertility sake, answering some of your fertility questions. These are coming right from you from Mondays. So again, at Natalie Crawford MD on Instagram, ask your question so we can answer it. So one of my questions is, is it possible to increase your AMH levels? And if so, how? The truth is that AMH is going to fluctuate. AMH is made from the cells that surround all of the follicles, and those follicles are coming out of the vault every single month. More follicles when you have more remaining. In general, though, we do see somewhat of a suppression when you are not ovulating. So if you're on birth control, we can see that AMH is suppressed when you're breastfeeding, when you've been pregnant. And we similarly think that there are chronic inflammatory states that also might suppress the activity somewhat or suppress the ovarian reserve. But the truth is, you're on this constant pathway. We really can focus on egg quality more than quantity, but those healthy living habits. So decreasing inflammation as much as possible, getting sleep, avoiding toxins, eating fruits and vegetables. That's really going to be the key if you're trying to make a difference in your egg count. All right, what is the recommended time between birth and a frozen embryo transfer? Does breastfeeding impact this? Personally, I prefer to have a full year from the time you give birth until you are doing the next embryo transfer. That doesn't mean you can't get the process started, but it allows that uterus plenty of time to heal. 
The absolute minimum would, would be six months, and clinically, this is not something that I do, but that would be the absolute minimum. Now, at that one-year mark, this means my patients are usually coming in around the nine-month mark. We're doing a saline sonogram to make sure the uterus healed, repeating some blood work, and starting to get our protocol and our plan so that we can have that transfer at that one-year mark if that's when we're wanting it. I do not like to do transfers if you're breastfeeding. The embryo is frozen. It has everything it needs in the freezer. So we don't need to rush to try to get it inside. Also, we know that breastfeeding can thin out the lining, can mess up the hormones. And even though you can get pregnant when you're breastfeeding and it's not a contraindication, your body is already doing a lot. And if I'm trying to decrease the stress on your body and trying to give that next embryo the absolute best chance, I also want you to enjoy this moment with the baby at hand. So if you're breastfeeding, I want you to go all in on that, and then I will see you after, and that will be fine because the embryos are frozen. What are your thoughts on Ozempic or other weight loss medication and fertility? Number one, I think that if you are overweight, anything that can help you lose weight, no cheating if you're using medication. I think it can be life-changing, some of these medications for people who really have been struggling with their weight. I see people get spontaneously pregnant, so just remember, especially if you are having an ovulation that may be due to your obesity, if you go and lose weight, ovulation may restore and you may get pregnant, so make sure you're ready for that. We'll talk about ozempic specifically or semaglutide. No pregnancy while you're on it. It's not the recommendation. The current recommendation is to stop it for two months before you get pregnant. So if you are on it and also trying to get pregnant, that is not what the current recommendation is, and I would really make sure that that's being guided by a doctor or you understand what the scenario is. Is there a reason why monitoring at my IVF clinic is in the morning? I love this question. For the most part, it is because if you're doing IVF or an embryo transfer or any type of cycle where we need blood work back, we need the blood work the same day. So we're doing the ultrasound and grabbing your blood so that we can get those results back same day. If I didn't do the ultrasound till the afternoon, I would not have the blood work back. If it's a cycle that doesn't need the blood work back, then that's different. But a lot of times we're really using that blood work to help us guide decisions and we need it back in a timely fashion. So that's why follicle monitoring for FETs and IVF go in the morning. Because of our schedule, very often clinics will block chunks of time just for ultrasounds. And that way you're not having people wait in the ultrasound room half naked while you're seeing other patients virtually or in person. You can just put people in the ultrasound rooms and go through the line of everybody who might need a baseline or a monitoring or a saline. And that can be efficient for both the doctor and the patient. But the short answer is that we want those lab works back. So we need to be able to get you in to get them processing so we can get the results. All right. Well, again, this is for fertility's sake. This is our weekly Q&A section. You can ask these questions on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Go and check out the YouTube channel and also would love to see you sign up for the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility.
I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.